Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. Going to be covering the sixth and final game of the 1980 World Series between the Kansas City Royals and the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies were able to have a comeback, yet another comeback win in Game 5 in Kansas City, able to come through with two runs in the ninth off of Dan Quisenberry, uh, Mike Schmidt, and Del Unser, and Manny Trio playing hero. And of course, it was a very exciting, tense ninth inning, uh, and Tug McGraw was able to escape uh, by the skin of his teeth. Kind of the par for the course for the Phillies here. There are a team in this 1980 season that has had thrilling comebacks. They were known as the Cardiac Kids. We saw it in the NLCS. We're seeing it again here in the World Series. And they are one win away on the cusp of winning their first ever, first ever World Series. What an incredible moment. And thinking about, here we are, game six, back in Philadelphia. And who better to take the mound than your ace, perhaps the greatest left-hander to ever pitch, Steve Carlton. And he got a victory in game two. It was a slog, a lot of pitches, uh, but was able to outduel Larry Gura. But he's not going to be going up against Larry Gura in this game. It's actually going to be Rich Gale. We'll get into lineups. We'll get into all those things um, in a few minutes here. Um, but, you know, for Kansas City, they had a chance to put themselves on the precipice. They had a lead in the ninth inning. And it slipped away from Quisenberry. It slipped away from the team. Had plenty of opportunities, plenty of chances. Runners on, in fact, had a chance there in the ninth inning to come through with a victory. And yet things have just been out of reach for them. And it seems like, you know, the first World Series for this franchise is going to have to wait a little bit longer. And now, of course, when you think about the weights in terms of franchises, there was the, you know, the athletics moved to Kansas City, in fact, from Philadelphia. So there's a bit of history between these teams uh, and certainly between these cities. Um, and, you know, the Kansas City athletics were there in the 60s, uh, but then they moved on to Oakland. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, the Royals were born in 1969. Uh, but so it's only been 11 years of existence. And here they are in a World Series you know, and they've been a very good team for the last few years. The Phillies, it's been decades and decades of misery. And, uh, you know, the, only, the, the previous time that they had reached the World Series was 30 years ago, 1950, with the Whiz Kids. But here they are, one win away from securing a World Series. And while they've usually used that cardiac comeback fashion, perhaps, with their ace on the mound, they can go for a little bit of a different strategy in this game. Anyway, more on leading into this game six after a word from our sponsor. Hiya folks, Dick Clark here. And you know, I've been involved with lots of great music over the years, but this is one of the best offers I've ever seen. How would you like to get 13 records for just a penny? Sound too good to be true? But it's not. When you join the Columbia Record Club... For just one cent, you get 13 great albums or 8-track tapes, all chosen by you. Classic hits and brand new classics delivered right to your door. 
all for just a single penny. That's over a hundred bucks worth of music by so many superstars, all for a measly cent. Billy Joel's The Stranger. Paul Simon's Still Crazy After All These Years. Al Stewart's The Year of the Cat. Chicago's Hot Streets, just to name a few. Chuck Mangione's Feels So Good. Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell. James Taylor's JT. And Melissa Manchester's Don't Cry Out Loud. And so much more. What's the catch? Well, there is no catch. And no obligation. After completing your initial agreement, you can cancel at any time. But you won't want to. Columbia's catalog provides endless treasures and the greatest hits ever, like Bruce Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town, Foreigner's Double Vision, Elvis Costello's Armed Forces, and Boston's Don't Look Back. There's Rod Stewart's Night on the Town, Barry Manilow's Even Now, Ted Nugent's Weekend Warriors, and The Village People's Cruisin'. Hours and hours of listening pleasure for all kinds of tastes and preferences, all for just a penny. And as a bonus, if you write in the number of the 14th record into this gold rectangle, you'll get that record too, all for the insanely low price of one cent. Clip out the ad in Sunday's Parade magazine, and you'll be on your way to expanding your record collection or your 8-track tape collection. Music to last a lifetime on records and tapes that will last forever. Like me, Dick Clark. Folks, so long. The Phillies have had a lot of heroes in this series. So there's, I mean, there's been a lot of heroes on both sides. I mean, of course, we've talked about, we've lauded the Royals, Willie Akins, George Brett, Amos Otis. Um, But on the Phillies side, you have heroes, of course, Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlson and Tug McGraw has been huge in the past. It, It was huge in the last game, throwing three innings. But then there's other guys who you wouldn't have expected. Bake McBride had a huge home run in game one and has made some excellent defensive plays. One we'll get to in a moment. And then there's a guy like Del Unser. And again, if we're just hearkening back to this past game, and if you're thinking back to the NLCS, I mean, Del Unser, he was a pinch hitter, probably was a good enough hitter at least to be a platoon starter at the big leagues. But of course, you know, the Phillies had a crowded outfield. But Del Unser was a guy who always made sure that he was ready to hit. He put in the work to come in in these big moments against the best pitchers in the game. We're talking about either your aces who are pitching into the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning, or your ace relievers who really started coming to prominence in the 1980s. You know, whether you're facing a guy like Goose Gossage, uh, Dan Quisenberry, Tug McGraw, um, Sparky Lyle. Now, of course, those were guys who mainly pitched in the American League. Uh, but, oh, I mean, if you're thinking about Bruce Suter, who actually, uh, as we found out, actually just passed the age of 69 um, this, this past weekend of, as of recording this show. Um, Lee Smith and and, and all those guys. So Dell Unser was a guy who put in the work, and it's so important, you know, it's not just your top guys. Your top guys matter. Your starters matter. But you've got to have that depth. And Dell Unser, what a luxury to have. And, of course, he credits his teammates and he credits his other bench guys. Um, So here's Bryant Gumbel talking with the hero of 
the previous game of game five. And then also we're going to hear him interview Bake McBride and talk about that. One of those kind of controversial plays he made. Here at Veteran Stadium in Philadelphia, a crowd of over 65,000 has packed the vet in the hopes of seeing the Phillies do something they've never done, that is win a world title. The Royals hope to send them home unhappy and bring them back here for Game 7 tomorrow night. Good evening and welcome to Philadelphia. I'm Bryant Gumbel. Welcome to Game 6. As I'm sure all of you know, the Phillies are out in front in games by a score of 3-2. to two. They will start tonight. Lefty Steve Carlton, their ace. The Royals will counter with Rich Gale, their starting pitcher, in Game 3. There'll be a couple of changes in the starting lineup. Jose Cardinal will start in right. John Watton will start behind the plate for the Royals. For the Phillies, the man on the bench and the man to watch, once again, will be Del Unser. He has come off the bench twice in this series with key pinch hits, conjuring up memories of Dusty Rhodes and his pinch hitting of 51. Del, do you find it flattering to be labeled a modern-day Dusty Rhodes? Well, I don't... Uh... I don't really know. I, I don't like to be labeled anything but Dell. Uh, I just like to uh, do what I can do in a situation whenever they call on me. It has been a tremendous string of pinch hits, though. So what do you attribute the success? I think uh, Billy DeMars has helped me uh, immensely in just shortening my stroke. Uh, when I came down here from Montreal, I had trouble with a great big stroke and trying to hit home runs. Instead, I tried to shorten it up and wound up hitting more home runs last year and, and just driving the ball well this year. Manny Modis, the all-time pinch hit leader. I know he tells me that when he thinks he's going to be going in a game, about the fifth inning, he goes in the back and starts swinging. Do you have a routine you go through? Well, George Vukovic, Greg Gross, and myself, all three left-handed pinch hitters, uh, will go up and down the runway at about the third, fifth, seventh innings and, uh, and loosen up in the clubhouse and swing a lot and talk about what pitches are in their bullpen and uh, think, see if we've got anything on them. Uh, for example, have their pitches or have, uh, have an idea as to how they'll pitches. And uh, I get information throughout the game from the left-handed hitters that I'm uh, talking with too, so that helps. Getting the two pinch doubles has got to be a great deal of satisfaction. Does it make you feel like you've contributed as much as any starter to this series? Well, to the series, it does. Uh, the playoffs and the series, uh, it, it's great to contribute when, when the game is really on the line. And that's that's very rewarding to me personally, and, and I know it is to the rest of the guys. They, they know I work hard, and I know they work hard, and, and it's kind of a mutual thing. It's, it's, it's pretty much a team. Del Unser, thank you very thank much. You, much appreciated. It has worked out fine every time Del Unser has pinch hit, but there has been room for some second guessing in this series. The most controversial call of Game 5 occurred in the sixth inning. Royals had themselves a 3-2 lead. There were two out runners on first and third when Hal McCray hit a ball to the corner and right. Bake McBride went to the corner and came away with a baseball in his glove, but there still seems to be some debate on whether the ball was caught or whether it was trapped. It was ruled a catch, end of inning, end of Royals rally. Bake McBride, let me ask you, and look me in the eye, don't look away, did you catch the baseball? I can't really tell you, you know, uh, when I went to the wall, I closed my eyes and, uh, you know, the ball was in my glove. So. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. You closed your eyes? I, cl I closed my eyes because I saw the wall and, uh, you know, I didn't want nothing to happen to my face. So, you know, I can't really say if I caught the ball or not. I don't know if it hit off the wall or if it hit in my glove first. Did it feel like it hit in the webbing of the glove or it off hit. the thumb part like it would if it was trapped? It hit off the thumb part and went into the webbing. And, uh, you know, I can't say if it hit the wall first or not. Will that answer change after the series? No, I'm going to still have the same answer. I, I can't tell you if I caught the ball or not. Having seen it on the replay, what do you think? I think I caught it. I do. Because it looks like it hit the... Uh, thumb of my glove first and then it went into the webbing. You closed your eyes. If that isn't an answer for an election year, I don't know what is. Big thank you much. We're going to step aside for just a moment. We come back and we will say goodbye to two old friends of baseball. A tribute to Bill Beck and Charlie Finley right after this.
it really does take a team effort to win a World Series. <laughs> Very interesting to hear from Bake McBride sort of uh, coyly say, well, I don't know if I caught the ball. Uh, and of course, replay, it didn't, you know, one thing is for certain, the ball did end up in his glove. There was no doubt about that, but it's just whether or not it hit something else. Uh it's very interesting. It's kind of interesting. Bryant Gumbel, his sort of interviewing style is he sort of needles in questions and is actually one of the things that makes him, you know, very well respected. Of course, Bryant Gumbel and Greg Gumbel, sort of the, you know, these two black figureheads of sports casting. Of course, Bryant Gumbel's kind of more on, you know, just sort of regular national television and Greg Gumbel you know, still calling football games to this day. Um, it's just very interesting uh, to, to sort of reflect on that. But w one thing that I'm saying here in the broadcast is, and we're going to see this when we get to the post game, Brian Gubble isn't afraid to ask controversial questions. And uh, so, sometimes, sometimes they're a little, sometimes they can be a little much. And, and like, for instance, he, you know, he was asking uh, Royals manager, uh, Jim Fry about some of the decisions that were made, whether it was Jose Cardinal leaving in Willie Akins, and it's sort of like you know doing that sort of that second guessing. And actually, Jim Fry responded with, "Well, Cardinal has actually hit better against lefties than John Wathan." And Willie Akins, if you remember to Game Three, he made a great defensive play to help to help save us some runs, and then he had the walk off hit, wanted to keep him in there. It's a tight ball game; you never know what happens. Didn't want him coming up in the lineup and not have him up. Uh, of course, Willie Aikens came up in the bottom of the ninth and walked and I think, I believe, represented the winning run. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's one of those things, and we're going to see that, you know, obviously we've had a very exciting postseason here in 2022. I might do a, a future episode on what's happening currently uh, with the playoffs. But, man, I mean, we can see here is even back then there was always second-guessing of managers but they used data, they used, and they used their eyes to look at what was happening and make decisions. And those decisions come with risk. Sometimes it blows up in your face. Sometimes you look like a genius. There are times that Philly's manager, Dallas Green, and, and certainly being the sort of enforcer that he is, you know, would be second guess not only with his decision making but also with his attitude towards the team he was sort of second guessed and questioned by his own players uh and that led to a lot of conflict we're actually going to hear from uh pete rose here uh he's talking with his uh a guy who was his teammate for for a couple of years tom siever and but it's just one of those things that the you know that i look at of you're always going to second guess you go with the information you have and hey there's benefits and drawbacks and you got to own when it works and you got to own when it doesn't um but ultimately a lot of times a lot of the great decisions or bad decisions it really comes down to well did the players do their job and execute um and one guy who's all who you're not worried about whether or not he's given the right effort putting in putting in the work and that guy is pete rhodes Lots of controversy around Pete Rhodes, but there's one thing you couldn't question him on, and that was how much he wanted to win and how much he was willing to put in and work to win. Maybe sometimes too much, but here we are. I mean, he was, 
you know, kind of when you're looking at an attitude change, he was one of those guys who went up against the Phillies in 76, got a chance to beat, to beat them. And it's just one of those things of where he was sort of perhaps that attitude, that spark plug to help drive this team. So here we are. We're going to hear from Tom Seaver interviewing Pete Rose, talking about the Phillies being one win away from a World Series. Pete, Paul Owens, your general manager, said that you were the one player to push this team over the top. And you watched the Phillies play for many years when you were with the Cincinnati Reds. What is it that they, that they needed? What is it you brought to this ball club to push them over the top? Well, first of all, Tom, when I came to Philadelphia, I don't think because I had 3,000 hits or made many all-star games or got 200 hits many times that I was going to be a team leader because I think team leadership comes from respect from your peers from watching you play on a daily basis. And, and last year I had a lot of adversity off the field, and I played hard 162 games long. And this year I played hard 163 games long. And I just think the players could see how I could concentrate on their different things and play hard day in and day out, and I think that rubbed off on some of my teammates. I think, if anything, the, the, this ball club lacked, I know when we played them in 76, they had a, a lead against us in a couple of the games in the playoffs, and they just lacked that killer instinct. And, you know, there's no tomorrow in the playoffs, and I really emphasize the pressure in the playoffs, how important the playoffs are, and how much fun the World Series should be. I think these guys have, uh, have listened to everything that I've said, and uh, they've done a great job so far. You lead on the field, the guy in the dugout, Dallas Green, has had his ups and downs with his players, but he's gotten you one game from a world championship. Well, I think he should be manager of the year. I think the problems he's had, uh, Tom, is simply uh, he's a very, very much of a disciplinarian. And I think the guy they had before him, uh, Danny Ozark, who was very successful, wasn't quite the disciplinarian that Dallas is, and some of the guys resented that. But I think Dallas has got through to the guys that he had to get through to in 1980. Thanks, Pete. Good luck tonight. Thank you, Tom. That's high praise there for manager Dallas Green there from Pete Rose. Now, of course, Dallas Green was he was a bit of a hothead. Uh, and he actually a very interesting thing is that it was unknown whether or not he was going to return as manager in 1981 or whether or not he had much interest in being a major league manager. Um, he would go on to um, you know to manage different teams, he would return for 1981. Um, and then he would actually go on to be a manager of the Yankees and I believe went on to be a manager of the Mets in the 1990s. Uh, but it's just one of those interesting things of, you know, it was not necessarily, although, you know, they're a win away from the World Series, it was not an easy year for the Phillies. Whether that's the clubhouse dynamics and certainly on the field with how many times they would fall behind, it, you know, it's certainly a year I, I can imagine and feel a little sympathy for Dallas Green of who his heart, it, this year, 1980, could not have been good for his heart health. Anyway, we're getting in to the start of this game. We are, obviously, we got Steve Carlton on the mound. So, you know, the, the Royals, they switched the lineup a little bit. Willie Wilson is still leading off, but UL Washington is going to be in the two hole. He hits a little bit better from the right side. Uh, George Brett. That in third, Hal McRae at DH in the cleanup hit, cleanup spot. Amos Otis in center. Willie Akins drops down in the lineup. John Wathen behind the plate because he hits right-handed. Jose Cardinal is going to be in right instead of Clint Hurdle. And Frank White is at second. And Rich Gale on the mound. Interestingly enough, I would say in this series, the Phillies have gotten more out of their starting pitching than the Royals. But... With Steve Carlson going today, he's only he's the first guy to to start two games, whereas the Royals 
all of their starters now, with Rich Gale starting this one, they've only used, utilized three starting pitchers in six games. So, you know, and certainly the top two in the rotation for the Royals are very good. Um, but then it's sort of, there is a significant drop-off. Paul Splitorf was no longer the sort of third ace or that, you know, that middle of the rotation guy you could really turn to in a playoff game. Though he pitched well down the stretch. It, it, again, there's interesting decisions. For whatever reason, they felt like Rich Gale was the guy to go to here. For the Phillies, Lonnie Smith is back. Uh, not not too jammed up there uh, with his finger, but he's back in left field leading off. Pete Rose, of course, who we just heard from. Mike Schmidt, who's had an excellent series. Bake McBride, the Bull, back at DH. Gary Maddox in center. Manny Trio, the NLCS MVP, and who had the go-ahead hit in, games, in game five. Boa and Boone down at the bottom of the order, who've been great, by the way. Got to say, what tremendous, not only their defense, Larry Boa playing excellent shortstop throughout this series, and Bob Boone just being a soldier behind the plate. And, you know, they've really started some rallies and been able to drive and run. So just what a tremendous, tremendous series. So we're going to hear from our man Joe Gargiola here, and then we're going to get into the ball game. Game six of the 1980 World Series. Steve Carlton going to be on the mound. Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. A beautiful night for baseball. 60 degrees. And these Philly fans are really ready, as I'm sure you can hear in the background. Hi, everybody. I'm Joe Garagiola, and we're getting ready for game six. We're going to have over 65,000 cheering fans here in Philadelphia. They're expecting the kind of a game they've been watching throughout this series. A series that has seen either ball club going to the ninth inning with a chance to win. The Royals, they're capable of winning here in Philadelphia, as capable as the Phillies were winning in Kansas City to bring it back three games to two. Royals fans are asking, can the Royals win? The Phillies fans, when they're not cheering, are saying, how soon will the Phillies fall behind so they can catch up and win? A key part of this game is what sort of tone is Steve Carlton going to set? Which Steve Carlton is going to show up? I mean, and that seems like a weird question to ask for a Cy Young winner, one of the best pitchers in baseball. But it's kind of an interesting question we're going to actually hear here from his catcher, Bob Boone. And then we're going to play you the first at bat of the game. And it's just really, when Steve Carlton, when he's got that good slider, he's unhittable. No one can touch him. But sometimes, you know, he doesn't have his best stuff. And that's where he's fighting. And so if we think back to game two, that game where he, throws, he threw so many pitches, he didn't have command of that slider. His fastball wasn't as sharp, but he's still so good and such a great, great competitor that he was able to give his team a chance to win. Even though he had base runners on the entire time, he was able to fight out of jams. Royals eventually got to him, but he had done such a great job, he made sure the Phillies had a chance to win that game. And, you know, that's sort of, we're going to hear this, this quote here from Bob Boone that really summarizes just how great Steve Carlton is, and then we'll get in to this amazing final 
Game 6 of the 1980 World Series. Steve Carl tonight has got to pitch his game. We won't do anything special to any of the Kansas City players. He's got to have his good slider. If he has that, he'll give us an outstanding effort. If he doesn't have it, he'll give us a fine effort, and we know we'll be in the ballgame. He's, even going, he's either going to be great and beat him, or he's going to be just less than great and beat him, I guess. But they say about the last time, 10 times he's been out, Carlton, he really hasn't had his great stuff. Early in the year, he just overpowered everyone. He's got his good slider. He'll win. If he doesn't, he'll keep us close. What a tribute. What a tribute indeed, Steve Carlton. And, and then that's the thing is Tom Seaver reiterates multiple times over and over again, including spring, spring training. And the postseason, Carlton's innings total is around like 350 for this season through 300 in the regular season. So there's a lot of wear and tear in that arm. But, man, when he – and that's, again, we're talking about tributes to guys. When the greats, they can really put it together. And, you know, so to start off this game, one of the key things, Willie Wilson, you got to keep him off the bags because, like we said, he wrecks havoc. He's a spark plug. It just, you know, he gets the team going. Unfortunately for Willie Wilson in this series, while he's had a couple of great games, for the most part, it's been a real struggle. And he's really had trouble picking up the Phillies pitchers. And they've really, they've figured out ways to attack him. And we're going to see that here once again. He's uh, Willie Wilson. He's setting a re- he's on the precipice of setting a record that you don't want to hold in the World Series. Wilson has already struck out nine times in five games, close to a record. One ball, two strikes, a jam-packed ballpark, and this town has just been waiting for their Philadelphia Phillies. They are really up. Check him out. Ten times out on strikes, Willie Wilson. A six-game series, Jim Bottomley had the record at nine, but here it is again. You may see a Steve Carlton tonight, 350 innings all year long, but one thing to remember is that he's got an extra day's rest. This is his sixth day that he's pitching. That extra day's rest could give a pitcher a little bit of pop, and he certainly looks like he's throwing very hard. He did to Willie Wilson, the first hitter up. A great way to start off the ball game if you're Steve Carlton. Stuff is looking sharp. Fastball's crisp able to freeze Willie Wilson. And then he's able to strike out UL Washington and get George Brett to ground out to Manny Trio at second base. Very excellent way to start off your day. And, you know, kind of from the outset, we're looking, okay, it kind of looks like Steve's got his good stuff today, at least there in the first inning. First inning for Rich Gale goes pretty smoothly as well. Uh, he's able to get Lonnie Smith to ground out to second. Pete, he's able to work around a Pete Rose single to left, gets Mike Schmidt to pop out, and Big McBride to fly out pretty weakly to light, uh, to left field. Now in the second, we mentioned, okay, great start for Steve Carlton. Then there, it, it turns into a little bit of trouble here. Uh, he's able to get Hal McRae to fly out to right, but then he walks Amos Otis. It's a great at bat, and there's some really, really close pitches. The relationship with the umpire is an important thing in this game. Uh, that uh, that certainly plays a factor. And then Willie Akins comes up, and there's a pitch that looks like it maybe should be a strike or a, a check swing, 
but it's called a walk. And then so now early on, here's Steve Carlton again against these Royals <laughs> having to face a jam. Multiple runners on, walks, you know, so no damage done against him. But here he is with base runners again. You know, hey, maybe that first inning was a bit of a mirage. Maybe it's not going to be so easy. But one thing that Carlton had in his back pocket and with his with his great defense, with Trio, with Schmidt at third, Trio at short, and um, – sorry, Trio at second and Bo at short, you knew, hey, if I attack my guys, they'd put the ball on the ground. I'm going to find my way out of jams. Otis at second. Aikens is at first. One out. Double play ball. Boa, one. Cinch, two. Six, four, three. That ends the inning. And so we go into the bottom half of the second inning. It's Kansas City, nothing. Philadelphia, nothing. And these fans are really fired up as Steve Carlton goes walking off. A nothing, nothing ball game here in the second inning. Game number six. That's a math equation that if you aren't a baseball fan, it wouldn't seem to make sense. Six plus plus four plus three equals two? Can't be possible, right? But it is. It's the same as five plus four plus three. Sometimes it's just six and three can equal two. Uh, Baseball, what a wonderful game and what a wonderful, uh, you know, confidence that you have as a great pitcher to know. My defense is behind me. Uh, in the bottom of the second inning, uh, Rich Gale's able to work around a Gary Maddox double uh, and able to, you know, eliminate any damage there. He's got a runner on third, but gets uh, Larry Boa to pop out behind the plate. In the top of the third, the good stuff is back <laughs> for, uh, for, for our friend Steve Carlton after a Jose Cardinal f- flyout, strikes out Frank White and strikes out Willie Wilson. Um, Willie Wilson striking out for the 11th time, the 11th time uh, in this series. Carlton really has his number. Those sort of the, uh, the, the, middle, the middle guys, those speed guys, Carlton knows how important it is to keep those guys off of the bases. And certainly because, hey, when they're on base, it's going to be hard to turn a double play. So now we get to the bottom of the third. And this is where trouble strikes for Kansas City. Now, throughout this entire series, it's usually Kansas City who has fired the opening salvo. Pretty much most of the games here. And there was just sort of asking, for once, can the Phillies just go out and take a lead and try to hold on to it? (laughs) You know, is that too much to ask of these Philadelphia Phillies? And, well, with a little help from Kansas City, they that is going to come true for them. Bob Boone ends up walking to start the inning. Uh, again, close pitches, pitches that look like maybe they should be strikes, but a home plate umpire disagrees. And I'm going to play this, these kind of this next sequence of plays here. And it's just man, there are some some kind of just little little mistakes made by the Royals that are absolutely costly, especially against a team as good as the Philadelphia Phillies. They have to show their authority, and they do. Here's Lonnie Smith. 
Frank White has it. He goes to UL Washington, gets the four. Save! Now Otter, I don't know what he's doing. Time. He calls safe and then time. Bill Kunkel, here comes Jim Fry. Well, Frank White had one thing in mind. Get the lead runner. UL Washington cheated. He was off the bag. The second base umpire, Bill Kunkel, said yes. You did cheat too much. And I'm going to call him safe. Watch it. A different angle. I'll tell you, he's off that bag by a little bit more than a couple of inches. Probably a foot and a half or so, and it cost him. Bill Washington was trying to get out of the way of the hard sliding boon. By trying to do, he wasn't trying to get a throw off. By trying to do so, he cheated too much. I think Kunkel made the right call. Bill Kunkel had his right hand up. Look, maybe he called him out, but he was calling time. And so we've got base runners at first and second. I really couldn't tell on that uh, play, Tony, to tell you the truth. So it looked like he was just in there. But here's another look at it. Let's see. This left when center field comes. camera should be the excellent angle. Oh, he was safe. His oh, sure. Was off. Yeah. You know, you get away with a little bit of that, and many times umpires will give you that call. But that was a little too obvious. One of the biggest plays in game five was Willie Wilson. Not it was sorry, Willie Aikens not having his foot on the bag on a comebacker to the mound. And here we are, UL Washington, in a situation where he had no shot, no shot at turning a double play, just leaking off the bag. Now, so that's the thing is the error ends up getting charged to Frank White, but it really it wasn't a bad throw from White. You know, it's just again a mistake. And certainly one, you know, looking at the replay, yep, his foot's off the bag. It's close. It's really close. And it's actually, it's one of those plays where if you were going to try to turn two, if he was trying to turn a double play in this situation, well, the guy's probably called out at second. Um, But now this leads to a lot more trouble. You got Pete Rose at the plate, who isn't necessarily known for bunting, but with Mike Schmidt behind him, Pete Rose is showing bunt. And curiously, the Royals are doing what we call the wheel play, which, you know, when the when when the pitcher goes in goes into his windup, lifts his leg, both corner infielders crash. UL Washington sprints to third, and so the idea is to try to get the runner out at third base. But what that does is it just can occasionally lead to some confusion, especially when you take the wheel play off. Now, it's a situation they have the wheel play on, they try some pickoffs, and Pete Rose does what we call the butcher boy. He swings away just to probably, you know, to sort of call them off. And so, all right, the Royals take off the wheel play, but Pete Rose is going to square around a bunt. Take a listen to what happens here. Let me tell you what might happen to Gale. He's had a streak of control problems there, obviously, but with all the things going on behind him, he, I believe, is so distracted that if they do bunt to me, where in the world do I throw the ball? If he bunts it, do I go to third? Is somebody going to be there? Is anybody going to be on first? I believe these plays can really goof a guy up. Trick plays will kill you. All oh, he can do is signal for a fair catch for crying out loud. Rattle Gale. 3-1 pitch. Bunt it down the third base. It's going to be a hit. Rose is charging hard. Put a little more pressure on the kid, pitcher Gale, that 
ought to have been. Rose does make a perfect butt. Gale throws on the mound. Here comes Brett. Rose beats it out. Tony, I can't help but the concentration on Rose's eyes on that last replay. He was going to make sure he bunted the ball on the ground. And as you said, they just thought themselves into a base hit, the Kansas City defense. Gill made a mental mistake in game number two. As you remember, Tony, the ball hit back to him with the bases loaded. He didn't go home. He went to first base. Here again, he's made a mental mistake on that bunt play. The pitcher's job on this play is to break toward right toward the third baseline. You don't go toward on plate. That's the pitcher's ball right there. That is not George Brett's responsibility. The pitcher should make that play. Well, Kansas City has already given Philadelphia two outs this inning. And there are nobody out. Bases are loaded, and Mike Schmidt, their big man in the batter's box. Kubek was a little prophetic there in saying, Gale's not going to know what to do, and the, a ball that's bunted almost straight at him. All he has to do is hop off the mound, come get it, at the very least gets it out at first. But actually, if he's aggressive off the mound, calls it, they would have had Bob Boone out by a mile at third base because there's no way. Then with, with the speed the ball was bunted, it was not. It turns out to be a well-placed bunt, but if the pitcher knows what he's supposed to do and is aggressively approaching it, makes a better play there. And, you know, that, and that's the thing is, you know, sometimes in these series, the pitchers just aren't a, you know, you can make great plays and sometimes you're not, and, and sometimes you don't, you are a part of the team, you know, although, you know, you're, you don't have, uh, you have the DH in this, in this game as a pitcher, you're still a fielder. You, you've got to find a way to help yourself out. And Rich Gale doesn't in this scenario. George Brett has to crash at the last second, um, you know, because his first step is actually back towards the bag and not towards the ball because he thinks Rich Gale's going to come get it. And with Pete Rose's speed, we've got bases loaded, nobody out. And here comes that man again. Mike Schmidt struggled in the NLCS, but was the best player in baseball in the regular season was the best player in baseball. Kind of the consensus, hey, big situation, guy you want up at the plate, well, it's probably going to be either George Brett or Mike Schmidt. And so Mike Schmidt is <laughs> coming to the plate. He's come through in this series, and he's going to come through once again. Base hit, right field. Here comes one run in. Smith is going to score. Heading for third is Rose. Smith stumbles, and now he finally comes across. He was late coming around. He fell again, and it's a two-to-nothing ball game. Fastball out over the plate. A little bit down. Schmidt really rifles it. He continues to have an excellent series with the glove and the bat. Now has seven runs down in for the series. Harden out with a weak throw in, and Rose keeps on going to third. Schmidt is going to go because Aikens is in a cutoff position between home plate and his right fielder. Schmidt had thoughts of going. Look at that reaction. He's had a big series thus far. What a great series for Mike Schmidt coming through yet again in the clutch. 
his eighth hit of this series, bringing in his sixth and seventh runs driven in. Man, just what a what a man, Mike Schmidt, coming through yet again for his Philadelphia Phillies. And, and you know, oftentimes, you know, you have an MVP season, and it looked like, and at, and at stages, looked like, oh, failing to come through yet again for these Phillies in the NLCS. But his team picked him up, and here he is coming through and just excelling at the highest stage. Also, just another thing to mention, wouldn't be Lonnie Smith scoring or doing something without uh, without Skates, his sort of alter ego. Uh, he claims to have been uh, born sort of pigeon-toed or had really kind of rough, sho- like, you know, bad shoes growing up. And it's, it's a whole thing that has happened throughout this series, him on turf, just not agreeing, him falling down and slipping. Uh, but he's able to score uh, without a throw. Man, what a... What a series. And, and, you know, that's it for Rich Gale. Um, Rennie Martin comes in, the guy who's sort of been the long man, the fireman, and, and, well, not the fireman, but sort of the long man coming out of gyms. He actually does a great job here, um, you know, because this is an opportunity. It's still uh, either first and second, first and third, and nobody out. I mean, there's no one out in the inning. There should have been two outs, but, you know, here it is, here's a fire, put it out. And that's what Randy Martin does, actually. Um, he's able to get, um, he's able to get um, Bake McBride to foul out to second. Greg Luzinski gets a bullet to third base, but uh, George Brett's right there. And Gary Maddox flies out to Cardinal and right. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it's just one of those things that you think about. This was an opportunity for the Phillies. You know, of course, great. You got a two-run lead it's awesome but also kind of a missed opportunity a good job by the royals to sort of pick themselves up and you know say all right now we got a chance let's go get that one back and you know having a shutdown inning would be really important now it starts out kind of the way you want UL washington puts the ball in play hits it in the sort of the five six hole larry boa makes a great attempt but uh, yeah, there ain't no way you throw, you're throwing out UL Washington, <laughs> not uh, not with a ball hitting the hole there. But then you know it's a very interesting thing. UL Washington is very much a you know a stolen base threat, but Carlton he's got a he's got a pretty decent move over to first base. Um, but now you've got the middle of the order up. You got George Brett and Hal McRae coming up, and the question is, are you going to be able to you know have that shutdown inning? Well, great defense, great defense up the middle. We saw Larry Boa has already turned to double play. He's actually one away. He's, he's, he's turned six double plays in this World Series. That is tied for a World Series record. How about setting a record, Larry Boa? This time, a good one for, uh, for a player. Bouncing ball, this could be two, there's one. There's two. So Larry Boa on this double play will go down in the record books. Seven double plays, breaking the record held by Rizzuto, set in 51. Started his seventh double play. And you know, when you look at scouting reports, this is from our left center field camera. He didn't waste the throw. He took it himself. Why mess up an extra flip? 
But also I'll interesting, tell. Tony, when he threw the ball, how he got UL out of there when he submarined it. Ball one on McRae. Ball has done everything that has been asked of him in this series. Getting on base, making all the plays. He's had an outstanding series to this point. Ray to Boa. the Kansas City Royals go down. We go to the bottom half, the fourth inning, the score here. The Philadelphia Phillies two, Kansas City nothing, as Boa puts on quite a show and do up for the Philadelphia Phillies, Manny Trio, the man of the hour, Boa, and Bob Boone. Thanks to Larry Boa, Steve Carlson gets that shutout, shut down inning. He's looking for, puts his team right back in the dugout. And, um, you know, it doesn't immediately work out. The The Phillies go down in order in the bottom of the fourth. Rennie Martin, again, he, he does a pretty darn good job. He's done a great job in this series of, of sort of coming in to bad situations. In fact, coming in to, to, to sort of Rich Gale's mess and, uh, and, and coming through. Um, and... Uh, Man, it's just a uh, it's just an interesting series, you know. Of hmm, you're thinking, was Rich Gale really the guy to go to in the series going up against Steve Carlton? Who knows? Um, you know, Steve Carlton continues in the top of in the top of the fifth here. Gets Amos Otis strike to strike out. Gets Willie Aikens to strike out. Uh, John Wathan gets a single up the middle, but then Jose Cardinal pops out to right. And in the bottom of the fifth here, we're gonna see Skates, our guy Lonnie Smith really use his speed uh, to his advantage here. Uh, he gets kind of a la Hal McRae, hits a ground ball up the middle, and turns it into a double. A speed just speeds, hustles around, helmet flies off, dives into second base with a double uh, in kind of you know one of those big hustle plays. And then Pete Rhodes uh, hits one out to center field, um, pretty deep in, in the gap. But, you know, sort of shaded towards left center. And Amos Otis has got a good arm. But Lonnie Smith doesn't care. He goes right in front of him, takes third base. And uh, Mike Schmidt works a great, great at bat against Rennie Martin, drawing the walk. And then it's kind of decision time, you know, with first and third and the lefty Big McBride. Um, Jim Fry opts to bring in Paul Splitorf, a guy who probably many around the league and certainly – Paul Splitter himself felt he should have been starting this game and, and felt probably he had earned it uh, throughout his career. Um, and, you know, he's known as a guy who gets a lot of ground balls, throws a lot of change-ups, but for whatever reason, um, the Royals opted not to go from it. And, you know, he's able to get to two strikes on Bake McBride here, but it's one thing, speed, man, speed matters in this game, especially when you're playing on turf. And, um, you know, I mentioned speed mattering so far in this inning, and you're going to see it again here uh, when um, Big McBride hits a ground ball. Two strikes, one out. Well, the scouting reports were turned in, said to Jimmy Fry that Philadelphia is a right-handed power-hitting ball club. Take a chance with Gura. He's the style pitcher might beat them, but they didn't think Splitarf could. I think you put yourself in the hole when you think that before the series even begins. Two balls, two strikes, one out. He broke his bat. They probably will not get two. Smith scores. They do get a runner at first base as Schmidt goes to second. So McBride gets an RBI as Smith with that great speed scores. 
Phillies lead three to nothing. He really sought him off. I don't think there's any way in the world you're going to get a double play out of Bake McBride unless it's a line drive that somebody catches in the air. A very tough situation to get out of and not give up a run first and third with McBride running, of course. Washington made a fine play at shortstop. Bake McBride gets down that baseline as good as anybody in the National League. 3 nothing lead is definitely where you want to be. And, and again, it's one of these situations where Lonnie Smith's speed there made a huge difference turning a single into a double, turning what should have just been a flyout into an advancement, and then the combination of speed of all three runners makes it so they're only able to get one out, the guy at first, and it's a 3 nothing lead. Not a bad pitch from Splitorf. You know, a weak, weak contact, but in that situation, you're probably, you're looking more for sort of a strikeout. Um, and uh, after that, you know, uh, Greg Luzinski ends up grounding out. Steve Carlton continues to be on a roll in the top of the sixth. Um, you know, sets the side down in order. Frank White pops out on the first pitch. Willie Wilson, not wanting to get to two strikes, uh, lays down a bunt. Steve Carlton makes a really nice play, actually, uh, on that ball. Uh, and then UL Washington strikes out swinging. So the bottom of the six, uh, Gary Maddox actually leads off, gets, gets a nice single to left field line drive. Uh, but then Splitterf comes back, gets a ground ball double play. In fact, on a comebacker right back to him, a really nice play uh, by Splitterf throwing the ball to Washington. But then Larry Boa, that bottom of the order, Larry Boa, we've talked about his defense. He's had a great series so far. I mean, he's already, I mean, he's picked up a bunch of hits. In fact, I believe he's already had eight hits in this series. And Bob Boone has been a terror down at the bottom of the order. Um, I mean, these guys are, have just been, been instrumental. And Larry Bow is a switch hitter. He's actually a little bit of actually a better hitter from the right side, a little bit more power of a power threat. And he gets one, rips it down the left field line, is able to get a double and put himself in scoring position for Bob Boone, who has come through time and time and time again. And, you know, the main reason why Bob Boone's there is being behind the plate, block balls, call the game, manage his pitchers. But when you can get the offensive output that you, that the Phillies got from Bob Boone in this series, you take it. Here he is, coming up clutch once again, Boa and Boone. One strike to Boone. Boone walked in the third. That set up that inning where... Two runs were scored. Schmidt got the two RBIs. Bull is at second now. Bull is also flying right. Pull the straight. Base hit. Bull will score. It is now four to nothing. RBI for Bull.
the bottom of the Phillies order has just been tremendous throughout these playoffs. You remember back to Gary Maddox and Manny Trio coming up clutch time and time again in the NLCS, and we've seen Bo on Boone just, I mean, just amazing. I think both of them hit almost 400 in the series. Boa had nine hits, got a hit in every game in this series, scored a bunch of runs, played great defense, and Bob Boone, a rock behind the plate, and honestly, a catalyst at the bottom of the order. Think about how many rallies he started and how many runs he's driven in. Um, You know, and the Phillies, they're feeling it now. They are feeling it now. And, and, you know, they've got a lead. You got your ace on the mound. Uh, But the Royals, you know, they didn't want to go away. They were certainly a team that was going to put up a fight, Um, not known for comeback wins like these Phillies are. Um, But, you know, the job is not necessarily going to be that easy. Uh, George Brett uh, leads off the the top of the seventh with a single to right. Uh, Hal McCray pops out on the first pitch, but that brings up Amos Otis. Amos Otis, who, man, he's just been tremendous, tremendous in this series. Again, picking up a bunch of hits, a bunch of home runs, doubles to the gap, and he's going to put a charge into one here. Um, But again, that Phillies defense shows up time and time again. Garcoffel's on two of his best pitches right out there on the outside corner. You see Brett at first. And now what do you do if you're the hitter? 0-2, he's got a nasty slider. Is he going to go out there or come inside? High fly ball, deep to right field, way back. McBride near the wall, makes the catch. A two-strike no-ball count. Notice, made a bid for a home run, but not enough. Carlton has thrown about 90 pitches so far in the game, and this might be the worst pitch that he's thrown so far. It's the same kind of pitch that Otis hit off a Ruthven the other day in Kansas City for a home run, a fastball up and out over the plate. McBride made a good play going just short of the wall to call it in, but where you have to throw Otis is the hard stuff in on the inside part of the play. What in the world was our cameraman for that? That was some shot. You saw that ball go right in the glove. Tom, you think the four-run lead is what made him throw that ball down the middle? I think it was a mistake, Joe. Made two beautiful pitches and tried to go away. I think he probably wanted to go in. Otis vying for his fourth homer of this series, and his his 12th hit comes up just short. Man, uh, kind of a breath of fresh air, certainly a mistake there. Uh, from Steve Carlson, but he's able to breathe easy. Um, has to work hard against Willie Akins, gets it to a 3-2 count, but Akins uh, kind of squibs one. Carlson makes a nice play throwing him out at first base. Um, Paul Split- Splitorf gives up a leadoff single in the bottom of the seventh to Pete Rose, uh, but Marty Patton comes in, uh, but the uh, Phillies get through the bottom of the seventh with no runs. And so that brings us to the top of the eighth. And, you know, Carlton's been a lot more efficient in this game. He's been a lot better. I mean, it's simply, you know, he's been dominant so far. But has a long at-bat against John Wathen, has some close pitches, and loses him for a walk. Eight pitch at-bat. And then Jose Cardinal gets in a two-strike count, fights off, and singles a ball right up the middle. And then, so decision time for Dallas Green. Do you go and get Tug McGraw, 
who had to work hard in game five. Reminder, three three innings and had a, a just a hectic ninth inning. Well, that is the decision. And it's like, all right, I'm going to bring in Tom McGraw. I'm going to have other guys ready in the bullpen, but I'm going to go to my relief ace. And it's an interesting decision. A lot of times, you know, we were still in this era of of a guy like Steve Carlton finishing off games he started. Uh, but, you know, we allude to all of the work, all of the innings, all of those miles on Carlton's arm and said, hey, you know what? Maybe it's time to go to someone else. Don't want this to get out of hand. Um, and, you know, Tung McGraw, to his credit, he's able to get Frank White to pop out. But then he ends up walking Willie Wilson, bringing UL Washington to the plate. And, you know, it's just one of those things of where Phillies fans are thinking, okay, here we are. We got a 4 nothing lead. But can nothing come easy to us? Do, do we got to put the, the tying run up to the plate? With the middle of the Royals order coming up, I mean, just sometimes you got to ask why in baseball, and it can be it can be a tough game. And uh, UL Washington, he's a guy who you know he's looking for contact, he's looking for a way. uh, And what the Royals really want here is a base hit. You know, bring George Brett up as the go-ahead run, bring in a couple runs, really put the pressure on. And to Tug McGraw's credit, you know, a run's going to come in here but he's able to find a way to limit damage in this situation. Base is loaded. Left center field, Maddox taking charge, tagging up Watson. He's going to try to score. He will. It's 4-1 to one as the throw goes in the third. Sacrifice fly. So McGraw gets his second out, and it brings up George Brett. Four to one, base runners, Cardinals at second, Wilson is at first. So George Brett stands in as the tying run. It's a 4-1 game now. He's up at the plate, and he actually, so he rolls the ball over to the right side, doesn't make great contact, but there's a bit of confusion. Um, It's just... A, a ground ball sort of in the hole. There's a little bit of kind of decision of Pete Rose tries to go for the ball, doesn't get it, go, comes back to first base, but he's not able to touch the bag. George Brett's able to beat it out. <laughs> and it looks like, oh my God, here we go again. Base is loaded. And it's just, oh, drama ensues. And how McCray gets up there and puts together a great at bat. He's battling, gets the count to 3 2. Fouls pitches off. It ends up being on the eighth pitch of the at-bat, Hal McCray, who has come through time and time again for this Royals team. You know, it's just, and we saw in the last game, hey, he put a charge into one, nearly ending that game and, and, and putting the Royals one win away from a World Series. But McGraw luckily was able to get the best of him. But hey, there's some guys who are escape artists, and that is what Tug McGraw excelled at. Bouncing ball, trio, big hop, has it. Innings over.
John does it again. We go to the bottom of the eighth to score here. Phillies four, Royals one. For the Phillies, it'll be Gary Maddox, Manny Trio, and Larry Boa. On a three and two count, Tug McGraw with Hal McRae at the plate. This may well be the biggest pitch of the series. Bases loaded and the runners are going. A fastball, it looks like in the outside part of the plate, Hal McRae looked like he was looking for something inside. A ground ball at Manny Trio and over to first and the Phillies get out of the inning with just giving up one run. The Phillies lead four to one with three outs to go to be world champions. And there he goes again. Oh, very emotional, hyper, pounding his heart. Probably the best thing for Tug McGraw would have been for the Phillies in the bottom of the eighth to go out there, have a have a nice little long inning, let McGraw calm down, even maybe add in some more runs so McGraw doesn't even have to go back out there. But that's not the case. Um, Dan Quisenberry makes his appearance. He's appeared in all of these games. Uh, and, you know, he caps off on a, uh, actually on a good note, has a really kind of quick inning against Maddox, Trio, and Boa, saying them down in order, all with pretty weak contact. And so now we are top nine. The Phillies are three outs away from a World Series. We've got a 4-1 lead. They've got their relief ace on the mound. But he's running on fumes, if we're being honest. And he would tell you that. You can tell it from the way he's pitching. and But there's one thing about Tug McGraw, that guy's going to battle. He's got Amos Otis to lead off the inning, and he's actually able to strike him out looking, though the pitch was not a strike, if we're just being honest, what he's called out on. There are a couple of pitches in the at-bat that just aren't strikes, and Otis has to kind of hold back anything to keep himself from being ejected. But, man, I mean, it's kind of a tough end to a tremendous World Series for Mamie Sotis. He actually hit 478, 11 hits, three home runs, but it looks like it's going to be in a losing effort. Willie Aikens goes up there, and you know you would think maybe you want to bring in a righty, but Aikens puts together a great at-bat and does what he does best. You know, finds a way to get on base, draws a walk against Tug McGraw, and uh, Onyx Concepcion ends up pinch running for him. And then it doesn't get easy here for our boy Tug. John Wathen singles to right, pokes one through the right side. And Jose Cardinal, the guy who struck out at the end of the game in game five, drives one up the middle in a two-strike count. Base is loaded yet again. Frank White at the plate. And play that happens here. The only way I can describe it is, man, luck was on the Phillies' side. And maybe in the dugout or in the clubhouse, they must practice hot potato a lot. Frank White, who is two for 24 in the batter's box. It's popped up. Boom, Rose, they'll have a play. away and Rose keeps it from going to the dugout so they get it out the hustle of 
was a tremendous play. He's like the garbage collector that they refer to in the hockey games. He's always around the puck. He was around the ball. It popped out of Boone's glove. What a play he made. Sometimes you're in the right place in the right time. Now, you can find yourself in the right place at the right time. But if you're a guy like Pete Rose, you're a guy like Mike Schmidt, the Phillies, you put in the work, you put yourself in the right place to be there at the right time. It's just uh, an incredible thing. And then also making sure, hey, in that situation, make sure someone's covering home plate. <laughs> I think either the pitcher or even Mike Schmidt might have come in uh, to cover the plate in that scenario to make sure that, hey, they don't get a free run in that situation. Man, just uh, tremendous things happen in these ball games. And what could be, you know, again, because the ball is pretty much behind the plate on the dugout. Pete Rose has to go a long way could have turned into essentially an error by Bob Boone and who knows what happens you give Frank White another shot maybe he hits a ball in the gap and three runs score it's a it is a weird weird game but here we go Willie Wilson at the plate bases loaded guy who frankly has struggled at the plate he struck out 11 times in this series McGraw's had his number so far and we're you know it gets to a two-strike count. The crowd's going wild. They're ready. One strike away. One strike away from a World Series. And I'm going to tell you what Joe Gargiola is going to tell you. The crowd's going to let you know how this two-strike count, how the, the end of this game plays out. Take a listen to Philly on the precipice of winning their first World Series ever. The crowd will tell you what happens. Philadelphia wins a strikeout. Tug McGraw on his uh, running on fumes, but firing a ball in, able to get a strikeout to cap off a 1980 World Series victory. A tremendous, tremendous year for the Phillies. I mean, my goodness, all all that they went through, and. The stars at the end sh shone through for them. We're going to hear from the guys. It's a great celebration. And by the way, those were the fireworks going off in the game. You know, one thing it is interesting of, you know, letting the crowd play out. I would have liked Garagiola to say strike three. He got him. Philadelphia won. Um, and, and I'll mention, I spent searching trying to see, oh, did Harry Callis have a call? You know, I mean, were they running a joint broadcast? Or was he perhaps in the radio booth? But as it turns out, 
he wasn't. I mean, it was a rule at the time. I don't know what was going on, but Harry Callis didn't call the 1980 World Series, which is really a shame. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I always revel in is the local broadcast, whether it's the radio and and taking a listen to that and, and how important that is for these historical moments. I mean, the Phillies' first ever World Series, and they didn't have their own guy calling it. Um, it's a small aside. He would, thankfully, before he would, before he died in 2009, Harry Callis got a chance in 2008 to call the World Series, call a Phillies win. Uh, well, of course, those are the only two that the Phillies have so far, 1980 and 2008. Um, just, But what a tremendous team we're going to hear from the guys. Um, just what a tremendous battle. And, and I'll have lots and lots of thoughts on this. And I'll also have thoughts on, on Kansas City. Uh, you know, to wrap things up here. But, man, oh, just what a win. And, you know, finally, hey, you know, they were able to, you know, stay ahead in this game, get ahead, stay ahead. Um, but it wouldn't be a Phillies win without a lot of drama now, would it? Tug McGraw, what a, what a guy. Uh, what, a, what a victory. And you can just tell how much this World Series meant to this team and to these guys. Uh, we're going to hear, you know, from Bryant Gumble interviewing the guys in the locker room as they're getting drowned in champagne and, you know, this sort of release of almost childlike emotion when guys win World Series. And and when you know how much work goes into it and, and how much they care, you know, it's, I don't know, there, there's something beautiful about these moments and these celebrations. Uh, take a listen here. We're going to play a couple of interviews and I'll, I'll interject some thoughts uh, in between. Okay, Joe, I don't know what it's like outside, but it's Bedlam inside. Larry Vaughn, nine hits in the series, a hit in at least every game, record-setting number of double plays. This has got to feel wonderful. Oh, man, I can't tell you how good I feel right now, Brian. Everybody said we couldn't win. They said, no, the Phillies aren't good enough. They don't have heart. They don't have character. We have all of the above, believe me. We want to win more than anybody. Tug scared us. Kansas City's got a great baseball team. Let me get to this man behind you. Dallas Green. I see you, Peter. Pete Rose. Now, you've been through this before. Don't you ever get tired of it? No, you don't ever get tired of this, Brian. Uh, we've been through a lot of adversity this year. We won the big ones. We've been coming back for the last eight weeks, and we beat a good team in Montreal, and we beat a, a good team in Houston, and we beat a good team in Kansas City. I've got to think that foul ball that you caught at the end typify the Phillies' season, hanging on the edge, getting things when it seemed like you wouldn't. Well, the, things were bouncing our way uh, the last couple months, and that was a, a perfect example of it. And, you know, I knew Booney had it all the way, and he was calling it. just come out of there, and I just... Nothing else to do, but I just go over here and try to back him up a little bit. Did you milk the moment for us? Was that just for our benefit? I was running out of gas, Brian. You was, know, when I the was... playoffs ended, it was said, hey, you pitched in every game, that if somebody t- touched your left arm, it would fall off. But instead, you pitched in, in, in the series, you won one game, you saved two. Um, a lot of time to rest now. Well, Brian, I, I, I just... I just ran out of gas today. I kept getting in trouble. I was missing with pitches, and and uh, but I just heard everybody yelling and hollering. And all the guys were out there screaming, hollering. I I saw them police dogs running on the field. I said, "Reach back and find some extra." That's what we, this whole team's been reaching back and finding some extra. It seems like since since Moby Dick was a guppy. But Brian, it just it just was there when we needed. I'd like to say hello to my mom and my little brother out in California, my uncle Henry out there too, and Andy Tugger. Thank you. Let me grab Bob Boone in here. Booney, 
You came into the game hitting 400. You picked up another hit in this one. You caught solid baseball throughout despite some nagging pains. Steve had a lot of stuff early on, didn't he? Steve threw very well, Brian. I thought he got a little tired there at the end, and uh, I had alerted the bench to it. Uh, I had alerted the bench to it earlier, and, and uh, when, when he struggled at all, you know, Tug's been doing such a great job. I went to Tug right away, and uh, the Royals being very selective naturally in that in that situation, he was just a little fine and just missing, but once again, he came through, and this club had just done it all year. It's fantastic. Moody, congratulations. Tug McGraw, I'm not sure at this point if he would have known about his estranged son, um, the uh, eventual future country music star, and a pretty darn good actor, by the way, too, Tim McGraw. If you've ever seen uh, the the Paramount show, um, 1883, Tim McGraw is excellent in that. Small aside there. Uh, But, of course, Tug McGraw, when he was um, in Jacksonville in the minors, um, actually, you know, had a, you know, ended up having a child with a, um, uh, with a, with a local, local girl there. Um, and, uh, had a, you know, there was, and eventually the bit was Tim McGraw. Um, you know, he didn't recognize him as his son until actually he came of age, I think until he turned 17 or 18. Um, so I'm not sure how aware Tug was of that, um, of that reality at that point in his, in his life. Um, but man, I mean, just what many things he he went through. Um, just what a what a tremendous series. And here he was; he actually got a chance to pitch in the World Series. He was part of the 1969 Mets, who we covered uh, a couple series uh, prior. Uh, but he didn't pitch in that series. But here he is on the mound at the end. Um, you know, a guy who you know came through, and you know he was a guy who just battled. Um, had a lot of battles through his life, um, dealing with a lot of things and. Uh, but he was a guy who cared. He cared about winning. Um, and unfortunately, uh, he's a guy who died of, um, in the early 2000s, died of a brain tumor. Um, it was really just, uh, kind of wish I had had a chance to cover Tug McGraw a bit more in this series. Um, it was just, there was so much, and there was so much in these games to cover. I didn't really um, find the time for it, but I just wanted to make sure that I at least addressed just, you know, it was kind of a tragic backstory for him, uh, for Tuck McGraw, but he did was able to reach the heights of greatness in baseball uh, with multiple teams. And, you know, that is certainly there. There's the sort of the tragedy and the in the tough parts of his life. Um, but there's also the brilliance uh, and that was able to shine through here. And you obviously you heard from Bob Boone, um, you know, be kind of part of baseball royalty. And then of course, Larry Boa and Pete Rose coming through clutch. Um, what we're going to hear from next, going to play first uh, actually from Gary Maddox. He was one of the guys who sort of, he, he was kind of one of the guys who was up against it with Dallas green. And, and, and it was kind of sort of almost the figurehead of the strife in the clubhouse. And then we're going to hear from, Dallas Green and the general manager Paul Owens and they're able to talk about sort of what it means for this team uh and then I'll have a few more thoughts and uh we'll hear the wrap-up from our from our NBC crew as well Gary you are one of the people congratulations you were one of those who had your problems with Dallas Green as this year went along um willing to forgive and forget all the way you know it's world, it's world championship time now so we're happy about that are you willing to admit now 
that what he did, he had to do? Well, in his mind, I'm sure he, he felt he did what he had to do. You know, sometimes just uh, you got to make an adjustment. You got to go along with what the manager feels is right, whether you like it or not. You know, after we've been around for a while, we think that maybe we have our own ideas of how things should be done. And the manager's in charge. You have to accept that. Would you like to see him return as manager? <laughs> yeah, if we can go back and be world champions again, I don't care who's here. I must say, before the game, I came to Gary Maddox and I said, Gary, how you feel? He said, I'm nervous. You're not nervous now? No, I'm happy now. Here, I got a drink for you. you gotta have, <laughs> I can't. You gotta on, have one. on national TV, I cannot. It has been a season of confrontation, uh, a season of, of some displays that you would sooner forget, I'm sure, a season of tension for you. Um, the moment is worth it. Yeah, it is, Brian. We're world champions. There's a lot of people in baseball didn't think we could be. I knew in my heart we could be. I think in September, from then on, our ballplayers knew we could be. Paul Owens knew we could be, and he he's the guy that directed this thing all the way. I'm proud of everybody on our baseball team. Why did this Philly team win it when, when others did not? Why this one? They had heart, and I use the term character. I get Character is a hard thing to to explain unless you've been through what we've been through in September in the playoffs and in the World Series, Brian. This team is just an unbelievable baseball team right now. We could beat anybody in the world. Paul, Paul Owens, you have been through the bad times with this team. You have you have been here when people call it a country club atmosphere that could not win. The man on your right, um, how much of the credit does he take? I know he wants to give it to his players. How much do you want to give to him? I want to give a lot of to him because the man went down and did the job that he knew that he and I knew that we had to do and the players responded and it may took four or five months to get it across but he did it and I'm so damn proud because it probably was the best move I ever made in my whole baseball career. Again, you can just here's, hear those emotions that sort of that feeling of vindication of a World Series victory. And when you think about it, I mean, just, just how hard it can be. And, 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 but what, what a triumph it is. And, and, and what a great feeling, you know, you, it's no wonder these guys are overcome with emotion, you know, because you go through battles as teams. It's not all, it's not all sunshine and roses. And certainly in the Dallas Green Clubhouse, it's not going to be all sunshine and roses. He'll make sure of that. Um, you know, and, and there's wonders about whether or not that's the right way to manage your team. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Ultimately, this team, this Phillies team, well, they had the character to, to come through and win. And they'll forever be remembered as champions. Now for the Royals... Man, what a um, – they've got to think about this as a missed opportunity. Those first two games of the series when they were up. And game five, they were up. You know, this one, they had a chance there at the end. You, you know, I mean, that's one thing about this game is they were – every game was competitive. Every game sort of came down to the wire, kind of with the exception of game four. Um, but what a, what a tremendous series, what a tremendous team. And, you know, they were a team that was kind of on the precipice. They were, you know, they couldn't overcome the Yankees. They finally did this year, but the world series in a way slipped away from them. Um, but certainly 
they were a team that was going to be on the lookout to continue to be competitive. And of course, 1985, they would get their vindication. They would get their victory with many of the same players like Hal McRae, Frank White, Willie Wilson, and of course, our guy, George Brett. And Dan Quisenberry, he would get redemption in 1985. A guy who probably took a lot of, um, you know, took a lot of the pressure on and felt like he let the team down. Uh, but, you know, the Royals, they battled. They battled hard. It was a, And again, from the looking back on history, you can think about decisions. But ultimately, the Phillies came out and won this series. They came out and won it. They came out and took it. The Royals fought hard. Probably felt like they gave it away. But you know what? I would take the 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 stance that the Phillies the Phillies came and took it. Anyway, we're gonna hear from our guys, our NBC guys. Um, we'll hear from them again in the future. That is one thing to be certain of because there's so many series in the 70s and the 80s that I'm gonna want to cover. But the next series hinting at uh, our future of Fall Classic Rewind is uh, we're gonna have. A different crew covering it. We're going to jump ahead a little bit in the future. So NBC won't be uh, covering these games. Anyway, for at least the near future, here's the last time we're going to hear from Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek, as well as Tom Seaver. Okay, Brian, thank you very much. You see the celebration here. You heard Jim Fry. And I'll tell you, it was a series that every game, they went to the ninth inning, the 27th out with a chance to win it. The world champion Philadelphia Phillies, 4-1. to one. Tony, you have any thoughts? Well, I'm going to remember some of the Royals' performances. The Willie Mays Aikens with four home runs, a triple a game in the RBI. The frustration of Willie Wilson, a great young player. who struck out 12 times, but he will be back because he's very young. That is the Royal side, and there's some pluses for them, too. Tom Seaver? No, I don't think that I ever saw the Royals play the kind of baseball that they played against the Yankees. We know that they're an awfully fine club, but for me, it came down to the pitching, which, of course, is my heartland. And it comes down to Quisenberry and McGraw, and McGraw simply on-pitched the fine reliever from Kansas City, Quisenberry. Well, the Philadelphia Phillies are the world champions, and all of us at NBC Sports would like to thank some people here in Philadelphia and Kansas City for all the help they gave us. Behind the scenes, Dean Vogelar, Bruce Carnahan, Brian Burns, Larry Shank, Chris Wheeler. Our thanks to them. Congratulations to the Phillies. Congratulations to the Kansas City Royals. And for Tom Seaver and Tony Kubek, Joe Garagiola saying... So that's going to do it here for us in 1980. We will be back. We're going to cover more. And um, I might, before we get to the next series, the next playoffs, which is going to be 1991. And if you know anything about the 1991, both the playoffs and the World Series, we're going to be in for yet another treat. What is what is seen as, by many, the best World Series. I'm not sure if I'd put it there, but it's certainly got one of the best Game 7s that you're ever going to see. Um, might take a couple weeks for us to get out there because I've got a, lot of, I got a lot of research to do. i got a lot of things to do. But I also, looking ahead, I kind of want to cover some things that have just happened because we're in the midst of a great playoffs here in 2022. We've had some amazing, amazing moments. In fact, last night, which was the Saturday night, was one of the best 
like days of watching playoff baseball that I've ever had. Um, and I certainly kind of want to give my thoughts on that on a, in a sort of a kind of short little break of a show before we get on to the 1991 playoffs. Man, it's been it's been such a treat. I I really loved covering this, and you know the nineteen eighty Phillies. What a te- I mean, you know both of these teams. I fell in love with both the eighty Phillies and the Royals. I really fell in love with the Royals. What a you know there are so many similarities between these teams, and there's so much to love about them. Uh, and they and they they gave us they they presented us with a, just a tremendous a tremendous series. Um, that, you know, both teams can look back on fondly. Um, and especially, you know, I think the Royals can look on it fondly in the sense of, hey, 1985, they were able to come back and win. But um, as we see, Mike Schmidt is going to end up being the NL, the the World Series MVP, the same year that he won World National League MVP. Steve Carlton was tremendous in his two starts. Tug McGraw was great. I mean, it really, you know, Schmidt gets the award, but it was a team effort. Larry Bowen, Bob Boone, who we've exalted. Uh, Pete Rose was that kind of that dynamite figure, that glue guy. Um, and uh, guys like Bake McBride and Gary Maddox coming through time and time again. It Just what a tremendous series. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the Royals. Anyway, there's just something so beautiful about baseball and about the World Series. Um, I'm actually probably going to, in this time, take a look at, there's a new book out from Tyler Kepner, which is called The Grandest Stage. It's sort of a history of the World Series, sort of, you know, sort of a shared vision and a shared quest to sort of cover just, you know, it, it speaks to me, the World Series. It's so great. I love playoff baseball. It's one of the most tremendous things. October. I get happy every year when it comes around and re- ready ready for the exhilaration, for the excitement. And um, there, it's just so wonderful to go back because there's such a rich history here that I think really, you know, these stories, they deserve to be told again and, 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 and dove into again because, you know, they live on forever. Anyway, that's going to do us here. Catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.